0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filipovitz. Matt, i it, it's funny. I thought I was going to be way angrier today, but I'm just like total Penn State football nihilism at this point.
1: Yeah, before I didn't think uh, I could be hurt by Penn State football since I witnessed Penn State Temple 2015. Uh, but now I think this really confirms that this after this year, nothing can kill me. Well, it's weird
0: because I... Let's let's start this episode. Uh, if you're again, if you're listening and you don't know what happened in the Penn State football game this week, God bless you. Uh, Nebraska beat Penn State thirty to twenty three. Penn State fell to zero and four on the season. There was some stat about the first team to go from the top ten uh, to zero and four since like Pitt in the eighties. All that nonsense. But before we get into any of that stuff, Matt, let's turn this into like a very minor opportunity to just talk through what we're feeling right now, because I imagine the stuff that we're feeling are probably things that a good number of Penn state fans are feeling. Um, I'm upset. I'm disappointed. Uh, but it's gotten to the point where like, I find it hard to be angry about what's happening because I feel like the Maryland game, the, you know, the Indiana game was, uh, unfortunate. We all had a sense of that. Indiana could be pretty good. But we didn't think that it was going to be ruin the season levels of bad or anything like that. It was near Ohio State. You expect that to happen. They put up a good fight, all that. I feel like Maryland was I'm mad, but I also feel like it can't get any worse than that. And that's kind of been confirmed by the Nebraska game where like, I don't know what it says, but I just feel kind of resigned to the fact that I can't get too riled up about this team right now.
1: I feel kind of still disappointed. I mean, this is coming from the guy who had Penn State going undefeated in, in his preseason pick because because I was so convinced that this team had the makings of James Franklin's first playoff team. And, and frankly, you know, in, in January it did. And I really was, you know, really stubborn in not letting the, these outstanding circumstances of the pandemic get in the way of my excitement. And, you know, thankfully, I missed the Maryland game, but but I watched a recap. So I was able to kind of get beaten down by that. And I'm kind of in the same boat where now I've kind of just accepted the fact that these outstanding, extraneous circumstances really destroyed what could have been a great season. And, and now, as this feels like a lost season, I'm, I'm looking for any kind of positives, you know, I can find from these young guys who are going to be around and try to right the ship, you know, maybe in the second half of this year and, and into 2021. So it, it's a very unique feeling, you know, not to feel like, you're building towards a playoff push, you're building towards a New Year's Six. Now it feels like you're you're building towards, you know, getting relevant again, which is such a bizarre thing because, you know, less than a month ago, this was a top 10 team, and, and now here we are we're just with every single thing just being flipped right on its head. Yeah, it's interesting because I didn't...
0: I think in the back of my head, I was cognizant of the fact that the pandemic and all the circumstances that came with that could have led to issues popping up. It could have led to the fact that there's a new offensive coordinator and a new offensive line coach and a new wide receivers coach. Like, the new stuff... In retrospect, I feel foolish for thinking they will be fine being able to just talk about everything over Zoom meetings and build off of that and, um, you know, overcome the fact that they're not having the on-field stuff because they have so much talent mixed with experience and blah, 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 blah. blah. And then there's, like, the human element of it. There's the fact that we're in this weird just void of a season. You know, there's James Franklin not – You know, he's not able to see his family, which is such a relatable thing for so many people right now. And going up to any person under those circumstances saying, perform at your best, and telling players who probably haven't seen their families in in person in a long time, perform at your best. And the other coaches, like, all this stuff just coming together. I feel like I should have been a little more open to the fact that this season... Could have been less than stellar, but I still think that we are beyond the worst case scenario that I could have plausibly thought of. I don't, what about you, Matt?
1: Yeah, and never in a million years did I imagine zero and four, especially with you know a multi-score loss to Maryland. Like, and it's just it, I I still cannot fully wrap my head around what's gone wrong because. There's not that much to point to that we couldn't have seen coming, and I think the fact that I was I was just so not ready to, to really accept the fact that this was going to be different. In that I just it just feels very bizarre to be in this scenario, if that makes any sense.
0: I uh, I think that's a fair way of putting it. I I want to you know give a quick hat tip to our pal Bill Conway of SB uh, not SB Nation. Bill has been at ESPN for quite a while, but in our, my heart of R2 will always be Bill Conway of SB Nation, but he updated SP Plus this morning. Penn State's the number 16 team in the country off of those numbers, and there are a few reasons why, but I'm going to read something. If you think of a sport as a combination of A, setting up chances to win the game and B, converting them, Penn State did A just fine. Post game win expectancy was 95% against Indiana and 83% against Northwestern, which means there was a 79% Nebraska, Nebraska right. sorry, which means go there Cats. was Go Cats, which means there was a 79% chance of winning both games and only a 1% chance of losing both. Events with a 1% chance of ha- happen one percent of the time, however, and Penn State is 0 and four because of it. So basically, Penn State is not doing something totally impossible, but they are doing something that is incredibly implausible and something incredibly implausible is happening right now. And the latest example of that came on Saturday afternoon in Lincoln, Nebraska, again, Nebraska 30 Penn state 23. Uh, There was Matt. I'm not trying to be too overly rosy and optimistic here. I think there are some things that they can take away from this one, and they can say, okay, listen, we can build on this. This is a reason for optimism. This is a reason for positivity, blah, blah, blah. But still, at the end of the day, no matter how optimistic, no matter how happy you are, no matter how many good things might have happened, they're still owned for. And I feel like that is a cloud that is hanging over the program to such an extent that, God, I'm having a hard time reckoning with what the rest of the season is, even though there was stuff they could have taken away from this game just because of their record. Are you in that same boat?
1: Yeah, look, if you want to prove that you belong infamously among the elites, you don't take moral victories. Elite teams take victories, and that's not what Penn State is at right now. With that being said, there's not a whole lot of victories to look forward to the rest of the way in 2020. And if they do, it's kind of a lost season. So now moral victories are really what you're looking for. And that's such a weird spot for Penn State to be in, because it feels like we've even been in that spot, except for in the, the infancy of James Franklin's tenure. So don't get comfortable looking for moral victories, but in order to feel like you salvaged something from this, you know, horrible, weird season. That's what you have to cling to right now are those little victories and those little moments where you can see how this team can get clicking going forward
0: yeah that, that that that's a fair read on it i mean i do i I want to give a point to that that has been made a few times um you know just among us conversations with one another that's the sort of thing in uh Wenda one of our advisors. Penn State did, Penn State fans, I think, really did suffer from a sense of whiplash from how quickly they went from, you know, a hopeless program, one that was one game against Minnesota away from canning James Franklin to uh, three New Year's Six Bowls in four years, that sort of thing. And I think we're starting to see, uh, you know, some fans, myself included, just really struggling, like, there's a shell shock in this among Penn State fans right now. Penn State fans, it just seems like they're trying to reckon with what the hell is going on. And before we get into that big picture stuff, I do want to just talk uh, about this game. And we're going to break it into the first half, second half, and mentioning the inflection point on this game and possibly the season a little bit later. But the thing I want to start with, Matt, First half of this game, Nebraska goes into the locker room with a 27-6 lead. Uh, Their their drive charts are touchdown, field goal, touchdown, punt, field goal. Penn State's interception, field goal, fumble for a touchdown, field goal, punt. Um, I think we can probably identify what went wrong or what was not right on the offense. Uh, But just generally... What do you think went wrong in the first half for Penn State?
1: Will Levis wasn't out there. That's pretty much what it is. Real quick, quick shout-out to Phil Troutwine for figuring out, I think, the best combo of offensive linemen right now. He moved Will Fries in there at right guard and put in Caden Wallace. And granted, Nebraska's pass rush isn't anything special, but this was the best the offensive lines looked all season. Do you agree with that? I I would agree.
0: Uh, I think that... it was a really smart move to make. um, But we also kind of, you know, there was some reinforcement in that not being the worst idea a little bit later in the game because CJ Thorpe eventually got in on the offensive line. And it was in the second half, I believe, uh, there were some extracurriculars, the Nebraska player who ended up going, you know, having to leave. I think he might've picked up a knock in said extracurriculars. Uh, And then in what seemed just like trying to trying to find that line between firing at my teammates, really competing, all that, and just getting a little too overzealous. He ended up picking up a 15 yard penalty. Uh, I would not be surprised if we end up seeing this, uh, the right side of the line being Will Fries and Caden Wallace going forward. And I, I I think that's a, I think that's what you were getting at.
1: Yeah, pretty much. But Again, what went wrong was really Sean Clifford didn't get it done, and that's so unfortunate because we all came in with really high hopes for him based on what we've seen Kirk Sheroka do with his quarterbacks, and it's a real bummer. And I think a lot of it can be blamed on the fact that this team hasn't been together. I think James Franklin or somebody said when the Journey Brown news broke about about him having to, you know, end his football career. That was the first time the team's been together in who knows how long. Like. For, for a quarterback, you need to be around your dudes. You need, and then you need to be going against the best your team has to offer. And, and that's not something Penn State's been able to do, which is so unfortunate. Uh, Kirk didn't call a bad game. Like Sean Clifford's pick, that was just a bad throw. Hey, I. He they put up 500 yards. He he they put up 500 yards on the road. He it, called.
0: It. In a very specific circumstance, he did not call a very good game. But we will talk right. about that a little that's, bit down the road.
1: That's totally fair. That He called a fine game. You put up 500 yards on the road in your fourth game after a pandemic, you have something to work with. There is definitely something in Kirk Scirocco's offense. He is a guy who has this track record, and I am not ready to jump ship on that just yet. I think he's really limited with what his quarterbacks can do, which is a whole other point where I'm sure we're going to get into. But overall – This was the kind of performance that's going to lead to drastic measures being taken. And we haven't seen this happen in almost a decade, like like since 2012 on, it's been this is your starter. And there was never any question. And now for the first time in James Franklin's tenure, we have this question over, is this the quarterback who can get it done? And Frankly, Clifford wasn't it, and if Will Levis starts this game from start to finish, I think Penn State wins. I think Penn State wins by more than a t- touchdown, but that that wasn't the case. And I, I had mentioned this before. James Franklin's loyal maybe to a fault a, at some point, and I think we're seeing these elite programs be able to take those next steps because they're not afraid to hurt their guys' feelings and go with who's going to give them the best chance to win. And Ohio State didn't do that a while ago. And Joe Burrow ended up being the best quarterback in college football history over at LSU because they didn't feel like he was better than JT Barrett, which was a mistake. And I think Urban Meyer would admit that. But James Franklin needs to learn from that mistake and learn from what we've seen Nick Saban do, Dabo Sweeney do, and make that adjustment. And him not doing that before the disastrous fumble is what cost Penn State this game. Yeah, I mean, uh, looking through Penn State's First
0: off, Penn State's defense to start this game. Uh, Nebraska comes out, has a really nice drive to start the game. 11 plays, 75 yards. You know, pick Penn State apart. They, one thing that I think can be the case in college football is that when you do what Nebraska did, you, know, you have two guys, you trust a quarterback, you end up going with one. They're able to come out and they're able to punch the other team in the mouth because everyone on the offense is comfortable knowing exactly what's going to be happening while the defense is kept in the dark until they step onto the field. And I think we saw that with Nebraska. They come out, they have a really good first drive. Second drive after uh, Sean Clifford pick, 10 yards, they end up kicking a field goal. Third drive, they end up scoring a touchdown. Uh, Xavier Betts on, uh, you know, I think they just... I, I think it probably was just a perfect play call against Penn State's defense. Might not have been uh, great defending on uh, the edge that Betts ended up running to. Jason Owe nearly uh, tracks him down. So they scored a touchdown off of that. After that, Nebraska punts. Nebraska kicks a field goal. Nebraska punts, punts, kicks a field goal, throws a pick, punts, game ends. So I ha- there are reasons why... Um, And we'll get into the conversation around Brent Pry that I think a lot of Penn State fans are having right now. But I do think Penn State's defense ended up settling into the game pretty nicely. Uh, The issue was on offense. Like, Let's not fool ourselves here. Uh, Penn State starts the game off with an interception. They end up having a nice drive uh, on their second drive of the game. End up kicking a field goal disastrous Sean Clifford fumble. Will Levis comes into the game and we start seeing Penn State pick up. But by the time Levis gets into the game, we saw Nebraska build up a cushion. Uh, you know, their election day votes were so plentiful uh, that they didn't have to worry about mail-in ballots by the time that Will Levis ended up coming into the game. Uh, and
1: You rehearsed that. That's well done.
0: I, I actually didn't rehearse that. I, that. That came off the top. Um, please do not leave us a one-star review on iTunes because I just made that joke. Uh, But I really think the issue in the first half uh, was an issue that I think could can be the case with Sean Clifford. Uh, It's the whole quicksand thing. We're going to talk about that a little bit later uh, in the podcast, but it was a mix of everything going wrong for the offense that could go wrong, followed by needing some time to find their footing in conjunction with they spotted Nebraska 24 points, Uh, you know, Not 24 points, it was 24-3 to uh, by the time the quarterback change happened. So, it was just a critical mass of things uh, coming together. And once the game got into the second half, Matt, I think we saw the Penn State defense settle down a ton. There was a 3-and-out, there was a 3-and-out, there was a drive that uh, started at Nebraska's 25 that ended with a field goal, there was a pick, and there was a three and out. What I think probably happened was Penn State's defense played the game that we have with one or two exceptions Penn State's defense played a very, very good game and Penn State's offense just settled in. And I really think that's what it comes down to. While Penn State is going to be disappointed by not winning this game. I think the fact that they settled down a bit once Will Levis got in there, uh, they, they didn't have to get to the point where they were throwing the ball too terribly much, and we saw some issues once they had to throw it a little bit later in the game. But in the second half, it just seemed like there was a new life breathed into the team. Like it, I hate not being able to give a good answer for this. It legitimately just seemed like putting Will Levis in the game led to a new sense of belief among Penn State's football team.
1: Yeah, the guys, they were having fun. Like, that feels like it's been forever since we've seen that. Like, that that Indiana loss, I think, really stuck with them for a while. Like, they looked like they were enjoying themselves and that they were generally happy to have you know, someone get their opportunity and even Sean Clifford, I thought, did a really good job showing you know some really good leadership skills on the sideline, you know, keeping up to date with that, you know, for whatever that's worth worth. But they seemed like they were having fun. And when that came back, their ability to actually move the ball came back, too.
0: I, for sure. There's um, how do I phrase this? I think that Will Levis is a very, very, very flawed quarterback, but I think that his flaws probably fit are, are, are things that Penn state can manage a little bit better, uh, than Sean Clifford's flaws. Again, we'll get into that in a second, but what, let's just look at the final two drives of the game. Uh, Luke McCaffrey throws an interception, Brandon Smith ends up hauling, get in, uh, Penn state ball, on Nebraska's 48 yard line. Uh, Will Levis and the offense take the ball, first and 10, Nebraska's 48, 14 plays, 37 yards, and there's a turnover on downs. they able to force a three and out on the next drive, Penn State gets the ball back from its own 31, 11 plays, 56 yards, turnover on downs, Nebraska gets the ball back, ends up winning the game. Penn State... uh um, this is a verbatim tweet from Pat 40 of Sports Illustrated. Penn State on three possessions inside the Nebraska 15 in the second half. Run for no gain. Run for no gain. Run for loss of three. Field goal. Incomplete. 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 Sack. Incomplete. I think that there was a very obvious issue with Penn State's play calling, but I also think it's pretty evident that once Nebraska sold out against the run in Penn State ter- I when they were on their doorstep, Matt, we saw why there are some issues with Will Levis being Penn State's quarterback, even if I think you and I would agree he's going to be the guy going forward.
1: The bar right now isn't to go out there and, and be the guy who can lead you to a Big Ten title game. The guy's... The the bar now is to find a guy who can move the football, and for all his flaws, Will Levis proved to be the guy who can do that. And I think a lot of that just because he's such a dynamic runner. Because if we're being honest, that's all really Sean Clifford was really offering at that point. Like he's still is he still Penn State's leading rusher even after this week? If not, he's pretty close to it. So if if that's what you're just gonna roll with, go with the better runner. Like th- that's kind of what you have to do at this point. So I think Will Levis can throw it better than he gets credit for. I think that play calling inside the red zone is, is atrocious. And I think that was Kirk Shiraka seeing something didn't work and trying to overcorrect it. And, you know, you don't have a quarterback who can really give you that kind of option. And, And you know, and that's kind of what teams are going to do. Teams are going to stack the box against you in the red zone from now on, and try to make Will Levis or Sean Clifford, whoever it be, beat you through the air. And that's probably not going to work. Also, don't throw fades on first and second down to your five foot ten guys. That's I don't get that, but that's a whole other point I can go into for like an hour. But this is what the offense is gonna look like because it has to, and and it's not ideal. But again, at this point, you're looking for ways to move the football, and who's going to give you the best chance to put points on the board. And frankly, right now, that's Will Levis.
0: Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, right, uh, just while you were talking, I looked it up. Currently, Penn State's leading rusher Devin Ford, 53 attempts for 270 yards. Uh, Clifford, 58 for 169 yards. So Clifford just ran it more. Uh, Ford has had more success on the ground. Uh, when it comes, like, I'm glad you... You obviously mentioned uh, the insistence on calling those fade routes.
1: Uh, I don't know what the hell that was. Like, I really do not. Stop doing that. Don't do that. Rashad <laughs> Bateman's not here. Stop. Tower Johnson's not here. Stop doing that.
0: Right. Like, and if you're going to do it, you have Pat Fryer. Like, Zach Coons hasn't played this year, but he's also 6'7". And, like, probably could be a very dangerous jump ball guy. Like, I will never understand. I understand it when there is room when there is room to operate with, because we saw Deshaun Hamilton and K.J. Hammer kill guys with that routes for their Penn State careers. I think Parker Washington, uh, he scored a touchdown uh, in, I want to say, the Maryland game off of doing that. But when you are able to give guys that room, yeah, like, they could do that. But when you're throwing those on, like, the nine-yard line, a little bit skeptical and... It just seemed like they outsmarted themselves. Uh, you know, it, this is an issue we've seen Penn State have in years past. We, They know that we have Will Levis. We know that they know we have Will Levis. And as a result, they're expecting run, so they're going to load up the box. They're going to leave space for us to exploit. Let's do something like that. You know what I mean? And I think that once, that is maybe the habit that, Penn State has had under James Franklin that it has annoyed me the most. Uh, more than the defensive collapses, more than uh, the offense going, like, and cold, like, losing after playing Ohio State, any of that stuff. The thing that annoys me the most and has always annoyed me the most about James Franklin's Penn State football teams, and I don't know if this is on him his office coordinators, whom it might be, it seems like they always put way too much weight into what they think the other team is thinking. And, you know, I go right to the fourth and five call against Ohio State in 2018 is, like, evidence of this. Neither here nor there. Uh, Matt, let's... Is there anything else we could really talk about from the game itself? I mean, it just seemed to me like it was legitimately an issue of Penn State just got into way too deep of a hole and by the time they were able to get out of it, they didn't have nearly enough time.
1: Yeah, that, that's pretty much my biggest takeaway. Like the the I don't know what you can take away from this game that we couldn't have taken away from Indiana, Ohio State and Maryland. Like, like the same problems are rearing their head. And it looks like they're slowly figuring out how to fix a lot of things. And again, this is where, you know, no non-conference just is absolutely killing them because this is stuff that could have worked out long ago or even in like a regular you know, fall camp. But I, I don't think there's all that much left to say. And, and it's without sounding like a broken record. This is the way things were always going to be. And that, I think, is an indictment on Penn State's coaching because every team is experiencing the same thing. But not every team is 0-4 right now. And the fact that it doesn't feel like this could have been avoided at Penn State, but it's being avoided at other places, it it is really telling. And and that's remarkably frustrating and and I think is leading to some rightful calls, you know, for for some changes to start being made. Yeah, there's
0: my kind of my general take on all of this is that Penn State missed out on its opportunity to figure things out with a full offseason. But at the same time, there are issues that, you know, they're just shooting themselves in the foot. The players, the coaches, all these sorts of things. And that that makes the former look a whole hell of a lot worse. And at the very least, we saw one change happen. When Will Levis came in, uh, you know it started. Reach regi- it. There, there were a whole lot of Penn State fans on the internet screaming. We need to see Levis. Need to see Levis. After uh, Nebraska went up seventeen to three, and then on Penn State's next drive, Sean Clifford, um, desperate to make something happen. Oh, God, God. <laughs> strip fumble uh Nebraska suits it up scoops it up goes back 24
1: to 3. That was unlike anything I've ever seen from a Penn State quarterback. I, that was insane. I
0: tweeted after the game or after that happened that it really did hammer home how much we took for granted how good Trace McSorley was at just making stuff happen because what I think we see with Sean Clifford is he is the quicksand quarterback where he gets himself into situations where, you know, he misses a couple of throws. He throws an interception. He fumbles. He does this. He does that. He misses a wide open guy, whatever it is. And he gets so eager to correct that mistake that he makes another mistake. And he gets so eager to correct those two mistakes that he creates an even bigger mistake. And it just builds and builds and builds and builds. And that's what I think we saw happen With the uh, play against uh, the play where he fumbled. With Will Levis coming in, I think, Matt, that they just got way more. they, They removed that. And there are other football related things that we could talk about, and we certainly will talk about. But if there is one difference between Will Levis and Sean Clifford that we saw, I don't know if we have enough of a sample size on. Will Levis to say this is what he is for sure but if there is one difference that we saw it's that Will Levis doesn't see he seems like he has a much shorter memory than Sean Clifford does when something doesn't go his way
1: for sure and that's great that's what a quarterback needs to have that's what Trace McSorley had like McSorley's entire mantra was Yeah, I'll chuck it deep. Like, it didn't matter if it got picked off. He had such confidence in his receivers and in his, frankly, his own ability to to get it done that it didn't really matter to him. And that's not something I feel like Sean Clifford has. And I don't think Will Levis has the kind of same arm talent or the same caliber of receivers to throw it to. And I kind of disagree. I think we know what Levis is. And I think the staff knows what he is, and that's why I think the staff also, not not only their loyalty aspect, but also the fact that they took them this long to put him in, is that they kind of know what he is and that they know this offense is now going to become pretty one-dimensional. So now you can kind of just try to build the playbook from here. But I, I think this is what Will Levis is. And is that good enough to, to get you back up here and finish the regular season five and four? Probably not. But uh, and the jury's still out. We'll have to wait and see.
0: Yeah, I, there's... There's no doubt in my mind that I think things with the offense get a little more... It's funny, because I think they get a little bit more in Penn State's wheelhouse when Will Levis is the quarterback. Uh, I think that there are certainly things that Sean Clifford does better. I think that Levis... The stuff that Levis needs to get better at... uh, I think he needs to get more comfortable when it comes to reading a defense before the snap, uh, when he's doing RPOs, uh, when he's trying to figure out how much he needs to put on a ball when he has to get into a rhythm with receivers, all those sorts of things. The one thing that I will say about Will Levis is it seems like everything he has to get better at are things that he needs playing time to get better at. Uh, I think he probably... The thing that he has as a runner is that he's a big, bruising, burly runner. Uh, I think that he doesn't have the feel for when to give it and when to take it. The Sean Clifford does, I think, have, even if it's not something natural to him. But I think that the... In that way, the offense changed. The other way the offense changed with Will Levis, and I think we saw this when... Pat Fryer, on the play where Pat Fryer-Muth went for his big, uh, I want to say it was a 74-yard reception. Yeah, 74-yard reception down the field. Um, Levis is, I think, better at pushing the ball down the field just with his arm talent, uh, with his uh, ability to be able to try that stuff. And when I think about Penn State football, the thing that I think, two things I think about them, on offense, are they really value not giving the football to the other team? And they really value big plays, Matt. And when I look through those two lenses, it's really hard for me to justify Sean Clifford being the quarterback going forward because for all for his other flaws that he needs to work on, those are two things that I think Will Levis gives you that Sean Clifford just does not.
1: Yeah, I, I could not agree more. That was... An impressive like. Feat. There's two things that Will Levis did that I was actually really impressed with. First off was that ball to Fry Ruth, really athletic. And the second of all, that was it a fourth down ball to Keandre Lambert Smith. Was that? Was that a uh, fourth the down? the one
0: where Lambert was Lambert Smith was on his knee and yeah, he,
1: and, and yeah, Levis had a really good move and and a really good ball. Again, I don't think he's as bad as the thrower if he gets credit for it, but I think that's him at his best. Is that kind of ball? Um, so I, I think he has certain things he can do, and I think that those two plays are the perfect example of why you go with him and, and not Sean Clifford, who kind of just had happy feet when things were starting to get out of control
0: yeah that, I mean that's the other thing like I did not like i underestimated how big of an issue sean like the happy feet seems to be, and we'll talk about the quarterback you know quarterback's going forward in a second but for right now I just think and this is a point uh one of my pals covers Ohio State football uh I'll you know one of these days I'll give him a I'll give him an opportunity to uh own this one by coming on the pod and talking about it but it just seems to me like the offense that Penn State wants to run one that is really dependent on big plays having athletes all those things <laughs> Sean Clifford just doesn't quite give you that, and I was willing to give him some time with Kirk Shiraka, but it's gotten to the point where I think that you'd be very hard pressed to make the case that he'd need like th- this has to be anything other than Will Levis's offense going forward. But before we get to that, I want to take a real step- quick one thing. thing I'm
1: trying to keep in perspective when talking about Clifford, and and I think a lot of it is why I'm ready to jump ship is because of what we saw last year, which was pretty good. But in a normal season this game week four is usually against like Illinois. Like this should be the game after you just beat up Akron Pitt, and Kent state or whatever the schedule was supposed to be this year. Like that's one thing that is always in the back of my mind, which is why I truly believe they should go with Levis. But it's also why I feel bad saying it is that because I know in a normal season, this would not be a conversation we're having. I think that's right. I mean there is like
0: there's is, there's is obviously the element of Sean Clifford and, and you know th- this applies to Will Levis too. And this is like I think of feather and Will Levis's cap. Sean Clifford did not get the opportunity to get this offense down with the full off season. I understand that. Uh but I think we just have enough data at this point to say this is going to be Will's team going forward. But we'll, we'll go to that in a second. Are there any other things you want to mention? Uh, about this nebraska game uh matt before we take a step back and do kind of the more um, macro discussion of penn state football
1: brandon smith um i'm all aboard your hype train now that i've seen you pick up a pass i think you are going to be outstanding he and you already are
0: he uh he's a guy who i think is going to benefit from penn state football i think having to um Penn State football kind of having to really lean into young guys because he seems like his issue is he just needs to see things happen. Again, we'll talk about all this stuff. Uh, we'll talk about these sorts of things in a second. But before we get into personnel stuff, did this game, Matt, tell you anything that you did not already know?
1: Oh, man. This is... um. Yeah, I'll say it. This game told me, I thought I knew this, but I think this confirmed it, it's probably time to move on from Brent Pry.
0: Well, I would, uh, the way that I'd push back against that is that Nebraska, I don't know if I disagree with you. I want to start there. I do not know if I disagree with you um, on the fact that Penn State could use a new, use something different. But what I will say is this: Nebraska had 298 yards of total offense in the game. 75 of them came on their first drive of the game, which means on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, on, on nine, you know, legitimate drives. After there was one kneel down at the end. They had 238 yards across nine drives. I think that Penn State's defense is getting a lot of crap, as it should. And again, I, like, I think things are a little complex here. But, despite the fact that they allowed 30 points, I don't necessarily think things are as bleak as it might seem for Penn State's defense. But I want to give you a chance, because I think you and I are going to agree on next steps with the defense. What did this game tell you?
1: This game told me Brent Pry's scheme relies on having outstanding defensive linemen and kind of leaving some secondary dudes out to dry. And I think that's been no more obvious than with the safeties. Because Penn State's safety play has been bad all year long. And another thing that I found very frustrating is they're seemingly using Shaka Tony very wrong. And I don't like the fact that they can beat guys to the or opponents or beating Penn State to the edge because Shaka Tony never looks like he's in the right place that he should be for his skill set. And that's great. And Brent Pry overall is a great defensive coordinator. But again, James Franklin said this and we have to hold him to it. I I think that's that that's what we owe him to to help this program grow. And and not that we do anything, but you know what I mean? Um, They need somebody to take them to that next level. And Brent Prize defenses haven't exactly gotten better year to year. And they need to not they, they started slow. That can't happen. And other times they finish slow. That can't happen. Because now you've dug yourself holes you couldn't get yourself out of, and you've blown leads that you should have been able to hold. So both sides to this coin are now here on the table. And knowing what we know with this full body of work, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I think Brent Pry Brent could really, really help take a program to really high heights, but I don't know if that's at Penn State anymore. That was probably very confusing and following not much logic, but I I hope it tracked a little bit. So it's weird. It's weird to describe because Brent Pry is so good and he did overall well in this, but it's those 10% of moments that are dooming Penn state and have for years for all the flaws, the offense has had those late second losses fall on the defense, getting in big holes against, Maryland and, and here against the rest, granted, they had terrible, you know, fumble recovery touchdowns, but still multi-score deficits at halftime. Some of that, a good chunk of it has to fall on that defense. So you can't have a defensive coordinator who calls 90% of a great game. You need someone to go out there and pitch a shutout.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, the thing that I, I just can't stop thinking is that James Franklin really seems to understand that there is a bar that needs to be met. And the thing that interests me is whether or not he makes a decision based off of the fact that that bar just isn't quite being met right now. While the defense isn't playing, while the defense is doing okay, like it, it's actually very funny. Penn State's defense is allowing 360 yards per game. That is one, two, three. That is sixth in the Big Ten. Uh, its issue has been scoring. It's allowing 30. Well, it's unfair to say allowing 34.8 yards per play, uh, points per game because a few of them are those are on the offense. Neither here nor there. I think that Penn State, just in general, can benefit from a new set of eyes on defense. And I don't know if that means firing Brent Pry outright. I don't know if that means bringing in someone who can act as the head coach of the defense or or can act as like a consultant who works alongside him. Uh, If you lose a coach somewhere else and you bring in a respected name to be the co-defensive coordinator, whatever it might be. When I look at Penn State in general, and I look at the places where they can change something drastically, I, it's really hard for me to justify get firing Kirk Sciarocca right now, uh, because he's brand new to this. Like He is brand new to being Penn State's offensive coordinator, and there is ample evidence based on his last two stops that his first year has some bumps in the road that end up sorting themselves out. And right now, Penn State is third in the Big Ten in yards per game. Uh, scoring has been an issue. Penn State is one, two, three, four, 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 four tenth 10th in the Big Ten in scoring. But they're getting, they're moving the football. It's just about finishing drives at this point. You can't overhaul your wide receiver coach. Can't overhaul your running. You don't want to overhaul your running back coach. You don't want to fire your tight end coach. You don't want to fire your offensive line coach. So you have to look to the other side of the football, to the places where there are guys who have been there, and look at things
1: a little bit differently from everybody else. You know what I mean? So I don't yeah, Kirk know. Kirk rock is not the problem here, right? Also, you mentioned a new set of eyes. It really got me thinking about Will Muschamp, Penn State analyst, and it's very funny to me. Sure, what like?
0: it's funny because I feel like if Penn State had a reason, could hire Will Muschamp, they should probably do that. If only because, like you said, like we, uh, Franklin has said, he likes having a head coach of the offense and head coach of the defense. Well, Will Muschamp, for all of his flaws, know how to, knows how to coach up a defense. And, you know, you and I were talking about this before the pod. He's tight with, like, his former off- defensive line coach is Penn State's current defensive line coach. So neither here nor there. Don't want to speculate on that. But that's that's kind of the one thing for me as I look at this game – it just feels like we're getting to a point where Penn State needs some kind of big change in the offseason. And I don't know if that means you have to fire Brent or whatever it might be, but it feels like they need someone to bring in a new influential set of eyes, and I just wonder if that's easier on defense than it is on offense. Did this game tell you anything else uh, that you maybe didn't know heading in, Matt?
1: No, I think I think it really just confirmed outside of that pride note a, a lot of things that I already knew. So, let's let's move to the thing. After the game James Franklin said uh hasn't
0: made up his mind He said he hasn't made up his mind on uh who's going to be Penn State's starting quarterback going forward. My guess is you're probably of the same mindset as me and you just think that James Franklin wants to be able to sit down with Sean Clifford and Will Levis and uh talk to them uh, about it before officially naming Levis the starter, are you probably there with me?
1: Yeah, that's just like a a pure respect thing. Like, you you don't want to tell the media that before you tell your guy that. Right, exactly. That makes sense.
0: Okay, so yeah. Like, I think it has to be Levis. So, let's do... I'm going to put you on the spot and make you do something contrarian. If James Franklin comes out on Tuesday, or Wednesday, whenever, you know, days aren't real anymore, and he says... We're going with Sean Clifford to start our next game under center.
1: Why would he do that? Uh, First reaction is he's lying. And that's something (laughs) that has happened before. Like we've seen dudes be listed on the depth chart. Number one, and that's not the case. Like that's not unrealistic. Um, Why would he do that? Is that what you said? Yeah, what what is the is there
0: an argument right
1: now for keeping Sean Clifford
0: as Penn State's starting quarterback?
1: Yeah, the argument is he's been there before, he's won a lot of games. I've said many times. I thought 2019 was the best season under James Franklin, and I think Clifford showed I think Clifford was the weakest link of that team, you know, for all of its flaws, but he was still pretty good. And you can do more with Sean Clifford than you can with Will Levis, but you can't do one very specific thing, which is running, which is what most of the offense has been at this point. You can't do that as well. So yeah, I, I could see why they do it. I don't think they would do it. But, you know, it's not, it's not like I'm not going to be the most surprised person in the world if he says, like, yeah, Sean, Sean, fell off the horse. We're going to give him one more try and then see, see what happens from there. I'm curious to see if Kirk Shiraka comes down from the box. Because I know Jomo did that. Jomo was a box guy originally, and then he came down to the field. And that's when Penn State really started to click. So I'm, I'm curious to see what happens there uh, as as we shift gears here to Iowa. Yeah. Uh, I, I
0: I mean, I ultimately, I I think it was just, I just wanted to kind of do that, um, you know, zag while everyone's zigging thing and making Levis the quarterback. But, you know, it has to be Levis at this point. For me, and I don't know, like, Interested in hearing your thoughts, Matt? I think that giving Will Levis the opportunity against uh, a, a very respectable Iowa defense—they're uh, third in the conference in uh, points allowed per game. They're a pretty solid rushing defense. Uh, they're the second best passing defense. I think this is the exact kind of kind of test you want to give him right away because. I think that you are doing. I, I think that if you are going to figure out who Penn State's starting quarterback needs to be, you want to be able to know right away what you're getting out of Will Levis. And I think that he's getting a real, going to get a really good test in his first game, assuming it's him. Uh, but in general, I think it has to be him. What do you think we can expect out of a Penn State offense? that has Will Levis as its starting quarterback. What do you think they might try to do that they might not have done with Sean Clifford under center?
1: Oh, man, this is weird because Clifford ran a lot, like more than I thought he would. So honestly, I would absolutely love an offense that's entirely read options and deep balls. That's just going to be fun. And at this point, I just want to watch fun football. Um, So I hope it's that. Uh, But I, I honestly don't think that much changes in terms of what actual plays you have at your disposal. I just think the frequency at which you call them changes, you know, I, I think it's going to be a lot of read options, not so much RPOs, just traditional read options. I hope they keep the slants in. Cause I think they did a Penn state guys have gotten open on a lot of these fun crossing routes. And I hope we just see more deep shots. Like I, I think Levis has a cannon and he's pretty accurate when he puts it down there. Um, So again, I don't think they really have to add that many new things, but I think we're really going to see a good mix-up to how frequently we see certain plays and and kind of certain sets being called and run. I think we're going to see a lot of 12-man. I think we're going to see a lot of 12-man going forward, which is good. Get Brenton Strange some good reps. Yeah, I mean, you can... The way that you could
0: take the top off of the defense with Will Levison is something that you just can't with Sean Clifford. And I think that you haven't... I, I think if there is a reason for excitement here, it's that we're going to finally see a Penn State offense that has a dimension that it just has not with Clifford in there because I just don't know how much Penn State could really try and take the top off of a defense without Will Levison. The one thing that I will say with Levis is that I have some questions about his refinement as a passer. Like, if he needs to put touch on a ball, I'm still skeptical of his ability to do that. Um, I don't know how um, astute he is of his surroundings in the pocket, but I was a really good opportunity for him to start understanding that. Are there any other major decisions that you think, off of this game, off of this game and off of the first four games of the season, James Franklin should feel pretty comfortable making?
1: um oh will is at guard Caden wallace to tackle um get scruggs reps as uh, you can as many reps as you can or if you're comfortable with at center um and, and maybe exper- experiment a little bit more with lance dixon and curtis Jacobs. jacobs outside luke Kett is a middle linebacker who's kind of stuck playing outside and i'm curious to see how a couple of those other guys come in there and play so I'd like to see a bit more of, like, a platoon at middle of Brooks and Lucetta and then get Dixon and Jacobs in there and get them some good reps, and I think that's your best linebacker combo. So little Mm -hmm. stuff like that, stuff that, you know, as somebody who follows the program very closely, I'm very interested in, but I'm sure, like, you know, a lot lot of, you know, very casual fans are like, okay, how many, you know, snaps did X person play? But that's really something I'm going to be really intrigued by, you know, more so who's playing than kind of what they're calling.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at every position – that Penn State has in the field. Like, you can give a little bit more run to a guy like TJ Jones at wide receiver. You can maybe get Zach Kuntz in there a little bit more. You can mix in some of the younger dudes along the offensive and defensive fronts. You touched on linebacker. Safety play has been a big issue all year. You can give Trent Gordon and Tyler Rudolph a little bit more run. Like, the opportunity for Penn State football to try stuff, I think, is now there for them. And it's not impossible, like, I don't want to think too big picture here, for them to view this season as Penn State did in 2004, where they were building towards what ended up being the number three team in the country in their 2005 team, where they can get guys who fit into kind of this bigger picture of Penn State football, more opportunities. They can learn what they have at all these various positions, give them the necessary game reps, and then once next season rolls around, then start to unleash them a little bit more. I want to kind of move into uh, two more big picture things. One, Matt, is just what do you think the rest of the season is? And then... I think it's good for us to very briefly have the James Franklin job security conversation, even if you and I are going to come from the exact same place. But what do you think the rest of this season is for Penn State? Like they have, uh, you know, as of our talking on Sunday evening, they have four games left: two at home, two on the road. They can they can end this season four and four. Do you well, think five
1: technically because there is five?
0: That- yeah, I've, the, uh, I, for, I forgot about the crossover game. Do you think it's worth trying to win as much as possible? Or do you think their number one priority needs to be listen, this is a lost season, let's start laying bricks for next year?
1: I think you can do both. I think you can see a really interesting split here. Um, but I think. It's now lay the groundwork for 2021 because 2021 starts with a absolute banger going to Wisconsin in week one, which is very fun. I hope I get to go to that game. So wear your mask so I can go to that game, please. Um, I think it's salvage wins. Th- this recruiting class, thankfully, doesn't really have that many people who I don't think are going to jump ship because uh, it's kind of late in the game here and it's not a great class anyway. Um So now I think you can really start building for twenty twenty one and getting these kind of dudes ready. Um, So find out who fits in where. Start preparing for the moving on of certain dudes, whether that be transfer portal or whether that be graduation. And you're still going to win, I think, three games that way, because I think things are starting to click a little bit, especially on Penn State's offense. And I think now with Will Levis, we can see a really good change. So uh, if I had to pick one or the other, I say now it's about building for, for 2021 and beyond and, and kind of seeing what you have after this bizarre COVID asterisk season comes to an end.
0: Yeah, and I think you owe it to Journey Brown, to Pat Fryer-Muth, Will Fries, Bill Menett, Shaka Tony, like
1: those sorts of dudes
0: to give it your all this season, like to still try and win games. But it's now about finding that balance and maybe leaning a little bit more... Uh, on the side of let's let's start to build towards next year. And an element of next year that I think is getting louder and louder is what Penn State's head coaching situation looks like. I think there are a number of Penn State fans who have long been uh, skeptical of James Franklin to one extent or another. And I think that that's that sentiment, those people are getting louder, and there are other people starting to join them. I think that it would be beyond shocking if James Franklin is not Penn State's coach next season. Uh, I think I could think for about 30 million reasons why that is the case. But like, I think that he would be the first person to admit that he has not done his job this season. He has not been good enough this season. And I think, I think we're going to see James Franklin put into a situation where he is not necessarily coaching for his job next year, but there is going to be an urgency about him that we haven't seen since the day after the Michigan State in game in 2015 when he fired John Donovan.
1: You don't fire James Franklin for a lot of reasons. First of all, there's no money. There's I, I get South Carolina is now paying Will Muschamp like 13 million dollars to not be their coach. That's why South Carolina is going to be South Carolina and Penn State is going to be Penn State because Penn State's not going to do that and they shouldn't do that. Second of all, James Franklin is a phenomenal coach. Great coaches have bad years. We've seen this happen. I'm not saying Brian Kelly's a great coach. Brian Kelly's a good coach. They went four and eight a couple years ago and followed it up with. What was that? Was that next year, their undefeated season and the playoff run?
0: It was something like that.
1: Yeah, insane. This happens. This is a bizarre asterisk season that does not warrant you firing the dude who took this program to heights that no one thought it could get to as quickly as he did. Penn State hired James Franklin to win the Big Ten in year three, and he was one of a few coaches who really could make that possible, and he did it. You do not get rid of this guy, but you can make a lot of things around him better by making sure that there are certain changes that happen to the staff and to the roster. James Franklin's not going anywhere unless he wants to, and he said this is his dream job. Granted, if I was away from my family and my loved ones for an entire year for a job, that's hard. That weighs a lot on a lot of people, and I couldn't even to imagine what that's like. But at the end of the day, if, you know, January 1st, if James Franklin wants to be Penn State's head coach, he's Penn State's head coach. There's no way around it. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I think that's right. Like, I
0: At the very least, it would just be, like, I can't fathom Penn State being in a situation where it fires the guy who's gone 11-3, 11-2, 9-4, and 11-2, lost in the Rose Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, lost in the Cotton Bowl, Cotton what wasn't Citrus Bowl, Cotton Bowl, over the last four years? Like the list of college football programs that has won forty-two games in four years is real small. Penn State is on it. I think that you need, as an athletic department, to put some heat under James Frank. You need to say, James, listen, everything has gone really, really well the last couple of years. You have earned the right to dig the team out of the hole it currently finds itself in. But at the same time, there is an expectation here that you have set. You need to be able to meet that expectation. And, you know, we're not going to fire you. We're not going to uh, convey to your agent that we think you should take a job at USC. Like, nothing like that. But what I think Penn State is going through right now is a situation where it has a head coach who, like we mentioned at the top of the podcast, like plenty of people have mentioned, there are off-field issues I can't even begin to fathom with him right now. Uh, I, you know, it, no issue isn't even the right word. There's an off-field circumstance that is being done in the best interest of his family I can't even begin to fathom right now. I am beyond empathetic to that. I think any human has to be empathetic to that. When it comes to football, it's really hard for me to square that away. I just think that Franklin is someone with very, very high standards. And I think that the next season, it's really interesting because he's... It's the second time in his tenure at Penn State... Where there have been legitimate questions being asked of him. And the last time those questions were asked of him, Penn State ended up winning the Big Ten. I don't think they win the Big Ten next season. I don't I think it's very plausible they don't win the Big Ten anytime soon under James Franklin, because there is a thing in Columbus, Ohio that makes such a firm ceiling for Penn State, Michigan, and everyone else in this conference. But I think that if you're going to fire him, it has to be off of more than one season, unless there is something bubbling under the surface that we just don't know about.
1: Uh, every day I wake up and I really hope I'm going to see an alert that Ryan Day took the Texans' job. It's gonna, <laughs> it's, every day it's going to happen, please. Yeah, I mean, but even then, like they they
0: go out, they hire Luke Fickle or Matt Campbell, and the machine keeps going. Like it's such a hard thing to talk about with Penn State football because. I come off as sounding like I like I don't want them to ever win the Big Ten and make the playoff. I do. Like every season I want them to win the Big Ten. Every season I want them to win the play make the playoff. I just have some real skepticism about Penn State's ability to do that unless Ohio State's program completely implodes. And I don't know, like maybe I'm a little more forgiving of James Franklin for that, Matt. Maybe like I'm missing something here. Uh, with him that he has to go and I'm just ignoring it because I don't have that level of standard. But I think that he's going to see out the rest of this season barring something totally catastrophic happening. And I think that next year he's going to be Penn State's coach even if maybe some stuff changes around him.
1: I agree. And and I don't think Penn State should be judging itself based off Ohio state because Penn state was so close to closing that gap and overtaking them. But two really bad late game defensive decisions cost them that opportunity. And if they win those games again, the whole trajectory of the program's changed whatever we've hashed this out before. I don't think Ohio state is as big and bad of a beast as we make it out to be. And I think James Franklin is the guy who can overtake it. He's come close once, and I think he can do it again once Justin Fields is out of there, and hopefully Ryan Day is out of there as well.
0: Sure. I mean, that's, uh, th- that's fair. Like, I think there's a little bit more of a, a, a death machine element to Ohio State, but time will tell on that. Uh, let's, let's talk about other Big Ten things. Um,
1: let's see. Northwestern Indiana, baby. The undefeated to the Big Ten, just like we all predicted.
0: Games this week, Iowa-Minnesota 35-7. I don't care about that. Uh, Indiana-Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State's not very good. I am, like, I. my heart is just so filled with joy uh, because – I think everyone uh, know who listens to this podcast knows that we're tight with Indiana people, but my heart is just so filled with joy over Indiana being legitimately good and not being fake good. Like I'm so happy that they're the number nine team in the country, Matt.
1: Yeah, me too. It's way funnier. Um, like I can laugh now the fact that Penn State lost to them because they just beat Michigan, and if they beat Ohio State, this is going to be actually one of my favorite seasons. And it, as as a broader college football fan, this is going to be one of my favorite seasons in history. Uh, Illinois Rutgers,
0: I don't think we need to talk about that. Northwestern, Purdue, I'll give you uh, 30 seconds to say whatever you want about Northwestern football. Go for it.
1: Go Cats. I never got to release my preview when the season got destroyed, but I predicted this. Uh, I will never release it, so you can never fact-check me on this. I'm all in on Northwestern. Please win the Big Ten. Please go to, like, the Rose Bowl and get absolutely demolished by Oregon. It would be very funny. And then the Go, g- go Cats.
0: And then the final thing I want to talk about – The Wisconsin Badgers walked into Ann Arbor off of a few weeks of not being able to uh, do much of anything because of uh, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Wisconsin 49, Michigan 11. Matt, Michigan is, you know, we're far enough in the podcast I'm going to cuss. Michigan is ass, man.
1: They're so bad. It's so funny. Oh, my God. Honestly, I think, like, I'd be feeling a lot sadder right now if I was a Michigan fan because I think Harbaugh's done. Like, I I, I think Harbaugh – again, Harbaugh doesn't have that Big Ten title, which is James Franklin's, you know, number one thing he can point to. But I think Harbaugh's done. I think if they lose two more games, it's over. I think that's the nail in the coffin. And you don't want to root for anybody to lose their job. But this Michigan team, man, just wow. I mm-hmm. – Don't even like Penn State, I can point to what's going wrong. It's like, yeah, we have this new offensive coordinator and everything's different. And this Michigan, it's like, what do you point to, man? Like it's the the problem isn't just that their quarterback position isn't that great. Like this is just a complete disaster. Like I, I, I have no idea what's going on in Ann Arbor, man. This is this is bad. Like this is the one saving grace I have as a Penn State fan right now is that at least we're not Michigan.
0: It's so interesting because I feel like with Penn State, everything that is happening with Penn State feels like it's just an outlier season happening. Like it just feels like if a thing is happening with Penn State football right now, it's because everything that could go wrong has go wrong, but everything is fixable. Michigan feels like it's at the end of a road with something, and I, I don't think they can fire James Frank. Uh, not James Frank. Well, they, they very obviously can't fire James Franklin because he's not employed by them. Uh, but I very o- don't think they can. Fire Jim Harbaugh because that's like admitting something uh, philosophically with Michigan football is just impossible. And I don't know how uh, well they would be able to take that. But he has one year on his contract after this. It just feels like a situation where he suddenly gets a little bit more eager in an NFL job than ever. Um Everything just seems to be going wrong for them, and in two weeks they have to play Penn State in what is going to be the saddest college football game of the year, Matt.
1: I can't wait for that game. As somebody who loves terrible football, that's gonna be so much fun. I hope Penn State I hope that's Penn State's first obviously I hope they win this week, but because beating Kirk Ferentz one last time before he rides off into the sunset's gonna be very fun. But that would be really funny if Penn State was kind of the the one to really send the Michigan season over the edge.
0: Yeah. Uh it It would be funny if that's like a coaching play in game like the winner gets to keep their job but uh that 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 isn't going to happen again I don't think either coach is going to get fired, but neither here nor there um what what are are you excited for Penn state Michigan or are you like completely uh you know are you going to make it a point to uh play video games that day or something
1: listen i i rarely miss a game i think i missed like two games in like the past five years so i'll be there i'll be watching i'll be getting mad i can't wait again i like bad football i think bad football is very fun i don't know that's why i like i like mistakes that happen in college i think it makes it so much fun so i will be there i am going to probably make like chili or something and i'm gonna have a great old time i can't wait
0: yeah uh that I, i i think that it would be in everyone's best interest to start viewing this season as very funny instead of very bleak, because then when you do that, it becomes a lot easier uh, to kind of swallow the tough pill that is this Penn State football season. Any, any, any final things you want to say on this episode of the pod map before I wrap it up?
1: Um, not really shut up cause they at I thought he looked really good, really great feet. Um, it's a shame they have to rush him in there, but I think he can be really good. Um, yeah, that's my one little shout out for the, for the day. I'm sure I'm missing a lot of other players who played pretty well in a in a a disappointing game but that's all i have for you
0: yeah holmes and lee and a few other uh few of the youngsters i'd like to uh, i'd like to see a bit more and i think we're we're going to get that opportunity uh thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Uh, as always, make sure you are subscribing to the podcast and all the, our various podcasting channels. Uh, if you're heading over to Apple Podcasts, make sure you were giving us a five-star review. Make sure you keep reading, supporting the site. Make sure you're following us on all of our social media channels. Make sure you're buying shirts, hoodies, everything uh, that we have. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill Filippo. Take care, everyone.
1: Pat Fitzgerald, Big Ten Coach of the Year.